Hello, I wanted to take a moment to thank you for listening and also to explain why you might hear ads like this before, during, or even after an episode. We're a small but mighty team here at Realm, and to help fund our shows, we promote products or services that we think you'd enjoy from a variety of sponsors. If any of our ads interest you, one of the best ways to support us is by visiting the link or using the promo code in the ad. It's pretty much a win-win since you can get some great deals and we can keep making awesome shows like this one. You can also visit realm.fm slash partners for more information about our sponsors and how to access the different promotions. Thanks again for joining us in our corner of the universe. Listen away. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world. That ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Realm Presents Book Burners, Episode 28. Four. Cell and the hand fell for eight seconds. They fell for a thousand years through the pink light. The space below them darkened, solidified, for as far as Sal could see, as if they were plummeting toward the surface of another planet. Or maybe the planet was rushing toward them. A voice, two-toned, one low and rumbling, the other pitched like a baby's, rose from the darkness. At first, Sal couldn't understand it. It was a hissing rush and then a cry, pinched off and arcing upward at the end. It repeated itself and got a little clearer. It was a word, a name. And, it said. And? The surface below curled around them. Towers with surfaces of crushing black ash like skyscrapers, like stalagmites, like trees dying in a swamp, rose. Some shot far overhead, blotting out the light. Others were as big as houses, others as big as cars. Some were about the same height she was. Sal and the hand landed among them, touched down on ground that crunched beneath her feet. She looked down. The ground that at first seemed more or less flat was still more towers, some as tall as her finger, some as tall as her fingernail, some smaller than that. They kept going, she realized. Somewhere, maybe there was a tower as big as a universe. Another one tucked inside an electron, if there were electrons here. How many cities could you fit on the head of a pin? She took a step and understood that possibly she had obliterated civilizations under her heel, and maybe something much bigger was coming that would do the same to her. And the voice called again, angry and urgent. Who is that? Sal said. The hand sighed. The eye, it said. A globe of smooth skin with nine small arms protruding from it at odd angles and no other discernible features flew down from the top of a nearby tower. And it shouted again. Why have you come back? I thought we had an agreement. We do, we still do, the hand said. We won't be here long. The eye leveled itself with Sal's head. Your host, it said. 
The hand nodded. She can't stay here much longer like this. So I see, the eye said. It seemed reassured. So you'll tell the tooth, the hand said. I'll tell tooth only after you're gone, the eye said. It will be very upset you were here at all. But by then, of course, there will be nothing I can do about it. A choking stutter emerged from somewhere on the eye. Are you okay? Sal said. I'm laughing, the eye said. Don't you know what laughing sounds like? Are we the only ones here? Sal said. She looked pointedly at the hand. Ah, the eye said. And didn't tell you he was banished from this place. What you see here is only the outside and is not allowed to go in anymore. Too dangerous. For who, Sal said. For everyone and us. The war is still too fresh in everyone's minds. The things it destroyed. The things it brought to life that are still alive, that we are still dealing with, and has a lot to answer for. The hand made a helpless gesture towards Sal. Don't try to belittle what you did here, the eye said. This isn't the first time he tried to take over, Sal said. It's at least the fifth, the eye said. It would have succeeded if not for Tooth. And who is Tooth? A demon we made, the eye said. That at last got the better of hand and allowed us to banish it. The hand smiled. So, he said, now you've met a little bit of the family. Something shuddered through Sal. The convulsions have stopped, she said. Time to go back then, the hand said. You said you'd let me see Perry first, Sal said. The eye laughed again in its way. The human you left here? The hand nodded. He's my brother, Sal said. I'm sorry, the eye said to Sal. But Anne promised you something he couldn't deliver. Your brother is inside where hand can't go. We can't allow it. But you can allow me, Sal said. You and Hand are connected, the eye said. I can leave it here if I need to. You can't, the Hand said. Watch me, Sal said. I'm not going anywhere until I see my brother. She turned to the eye. Take me to him if the Hand can't do it. The eye bobbed in the air in what seemed like a bow or a mockery of one. It moved to the edge of the nearest tower, twice as tall as Sal was, and opened a door. Light and sound streamed through the opening. Wait here until I get back, Sal said to the hand. I won't be long. Don't be, the hand said, for both our sakes. For mine and my brother's, Sal corrected him, not yours. Sal stepped into the tower, descended a flight of steps, and came up out of the ground as though the world had flipped over while she was walking. She emerged into orange light, a swarm of sound. She was in a mobbed city that had only marginal use for gravity. Buildings floated in the air, connected to the ground and to each other by long chains of ladders that swayed as the buildings moved. The web of edifices stretched into the sky as far as Sal could see. 
Small islands of houses in the shapes of rough jewels, enormous structures that looked as though they'd been assembled by switching on a huge magnet and letting the pieces fly together. The ground and the air were full of creatures of too many shapes and sizes for her to take it all in. She dodged past a long, stick-like thing, ambling along with five legs and tiny vestigial wings, passed through a cloud of hundreds of tiny beings that sang to each other in 16-part harmony, ducked under the legs of a mammoth humanoid that seemed to be made of clay, squeezed between two squat individuals, each with three heads and six arms, gorging themselves on succulent fruits and laughing. The eye stopped her short in front of a thing no taller than a child with a tiny head and spindly legs. Don't move, the eye said, or it will eat you. How long do we have to wait here? Until it loses interest, the eye said. They didn't move. Neither did the creature. Without warning, an enormous hand shot down from the building right above them and scooped up the little thing. Sal watched as the hand brought the thing to a mouth in the side of the building, closed a set of rocky teeth around its neck, and pulled off its head. That's one way for it to lose interest, the eye said. This way? It motioned to a ladder and Sal began to climb into the sky. Above her, the air was thick with creatures in flight. The smaller ones flitted past each other, landed on the sides of houses and climbed into windows. The bigger ones lumbered through the air at speeds so slow it seemed they were moving through water instead. A three-limbed being with a long snout was coming down the ladder Sal was climbing up. As they neared, the creature let out a snort and flipped to the underside of the ladder, continuing on its way. Following the eye, Sal reached a building that looked like a salt crystal blown out of all proportion. She walked along its surface to another ladder, leading to a tiny island spinning slowly in the air. There was a break in the buildings above her, and she looked up. Holes in the sky tattered at the edges, had light and traffic streaming in and out of them, coming in from elsewhere, heading out. Here, the eye said, and pointed to a window. Sal jumped through it. She landed on a hard black floor polished to a sheen. There was light at one end, a small room made of glass. And here, behind a tangle of black briars imprisoning him, was Perry, sitting cross-legged, his head down, his eyes closed. Less like someone meditating and more like a little kid who just got in trouble. I told you he was safe, the eye said. No, you didn't, Sal said. She walked up to her brother. Perry, she said. Perry didn't move. She said his name again. There was still no response. She reached out and put her hand on his shoulder. His eyes snapped open and he screamed, terrified. Perry, she said again. Perry, it's me, Sal. Perry's breathing slowed. His eyes went from wide to a squint to the eyes she knew. The ones that shone when he'd figured out how to cause trouble and pin it on her. The ones belonging to the kid who stole licks of ice cream and jumped off a dock with her one summer. He always jumped first. Sal, he said, how did you get here? Long story, she said. Can I go now? Sal looked at the eye. This is Hatton's place, a place he made. Only Han can unlock it. It can't even get in here, he said. Without moving or speaking, the eye conveyed the distinct impression that this was Sal's problem. Sal looked back at Perry. No, eh, not yet, she said. But you're here. Why can't I go? He seemed drugged. 
You just can't yet, okay? I've been here so long. I know, Sal said. I'm trying. I'm close, I promise. I hardly remember who you are, or a mom, or your dad, or anyone anymore. Perry, stop it. It's so hard to hang on to all that here. I know, Sal said. Do you remember when we were kids? No, Perry said. I'm not done. We were playing at the school playground with a bunch of other kids, and someone kicked the ball onto the roof. And you said you'd go get it. Do you remember that? Perry just looked at her. There was a metal ladder attached to the side of the school that led up to the roof. Who knows what it was for? But we'd been told not to climb it, and none of us did because we were too scared. You climbed it all the time, though, and you did then to get that ball. Perry smiled. I remember watching you disappear when you got on the roof. For a minute, it seemed like you were gone for good. Then the ball came sailing back down onto the playground, and all the kids cheered, and you stood on the edge of the roof like Superman, just taking it all in. You remember that? I think so. Then you'll know what happened next, Sal said. I fell, Perry said. That's right. You fell off the roof of the school right onto the pavement. It wasn't that high, but it was high enough. You fell and landed hard, and for a second you didn't move. I thought you were dead. You did, Perry said. You never told me that. I did, Sal said. I remember wondering what on earth I was going to tell Mom and Dad. We gathered around you, and you just lay there. Then you coughed a couple times, got up, and threw up against the side of the school. I remember that part, Perry said. But that was all, Perry. You were alive. No broken bones, no huge cuts, just a bunch of scrapes and the wind knocked out of you and you lost your lunch. That's it. You remember? Yeah, Perry said. This is going to be just like that, Perry. Like you fell off the roof and were gone for a minute, but you're going to return from this as if nothing ever happened. Got it? Yeah, got it, Perry said. It's just one question. What is it? Sal asked. Why are you crying? I'm not crying. Yeah, you are. Sal turned away for a second, turned back. Just know that I'm coming to get you, okay? She reached her hand through the briars. Perry reached out to her. Their hands met and held. I miss you, Sal, Perry said. I miss you too, Sal said. Very touching, she heard the hand say from somewhere above her mouth. But you have to go. And I'm impressed that you'd lie to your brother like that. You're not getting him back. I will, Sal said. You'll see. Far away, if she concentrated on it, she could feel it tugging at her chest and wrists. Bye, Perry, she said. We can imagine many potential futures. Some serve as inspiration, others, warnings. Wondery offers one possibility of the future in their new show, The Last City. The year is 2072, and the city of Pura stands as a miraculous green haven. Pura is a geo-engineered paradise that protects fortunate residents from the global catastrophes of heat domes, fires, floods, and droughts. Demetria Lopez heads up Pura's public relations, tirelessly promoting the city's idyllic image. But when she stumbles upon a dark secret that, if exposed, would be the downfall of Pura's existence, she must decide who and what she's willing to protect. 
From Wondery, the makers of Academy and Dr. Death, The Last City stars actors Ray Seahorn, Jeannie Tirado, and Maury Sterling. Follow The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. You may not be on an elite team of investigators fighting the dangers of magic, but that doesn't mean you have to be defenseless when it comes to protecting your data online. Lucky for you, our partners at NordVPN know their way around the World Wide Web. VPN stands for Virtual Private Network, which creates a sort of encrypted tunnel while you're online, protecting your private data like bank details and passwords so you can browse safely wherever you are in the world. In addition to providing you with a high level of security online, my favorite use of NordVPN is to virtually switch my location so I can watch movies and shows that aren't currently available in my area. Plus, that way I can still access my favorite content when I'm traveling as well. I'm a fan of pretty much any British TV show, but they aren't always available in the US, so with NordVPN, I can virtually travel across the pond to enjoy my telly. NordVPN is also the fastest VPN in the world, and you can get all that speed, protection, and virtual locations for the price of just a coffee a month. To get the best discount off your NordVPN plan, go to nordvpn.com bookburners. Our link will also give you four extra months on the two-year plan. There's no risk with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. Five. We're too late, Grace said. She sat in the passenger seat as Liam drove. Munchie was in the back seat. The car bounced along a road that used to be cobbled but had fallen into disrepair. Don't be so sure, Menchu said. I am heartened by my talk with Sansoni. And how did Asante do with Verano? Menchu sighed. He suggested we let Team Two do its work. Well, that's weird, Liam said. That's protocol, Menchu said. Maybe Monsignor Usher has a little too much sway with him, but still, protocol. Ass covering, Grace said. Yes, Manchu said. Liam turned the car onto a winding dirt track. This must be it, he said. Are you sure, Grace said. It looks right, Manchu said. Right, Liam said. It looks like a fucking cliche. The car was heading toward the vineyard's crumbling outer wall. Up ahead, dark against the night sky, set aglow by a half moon. They could see the outline of the monastery built on a rise in the land. Should we stop here? Liam asked. It doesn't matter now, Grace said. If they were worried about visitors, I think they would have at least closed the gate. They must have thought the seclusion was enough, Menchu said. Or didn't want to draw too much attention to the fact they're here, Grace said. The road ended at a small square paved with cobblestones. There were three vehicles there that looked like moving vans. A man stood near the monastery's entrance with a rifle. He approached the car with a confident swagger, but didn't seem wary of them. I don't recognize him, Menchu said. Good, Grace said. That probably means he doesn't recognize us. Liam lowered the window. Good evening, sir, he said in Italian. The guard nodded. Uh, you're a tourist? My accent gives me away every time, Liam said and laughed. Yeah, I'm here with my wife and father-in-law visiting the countryside, and we seem to have gotten turned around. There was no outward physical sign from either Grace or Menchu, but Liam was pretty sure he could feel them wincing. Did someone say cliche? I'm sorry, the guard said. This is private property. I can't help you. 
You can't tell me where I am, Liam said. You're on private property, the guard repeated. Now please go before I call the police. The guard was standing out of reach. I'm not sure I like the tone of your voice, Liam said quietly. What? The guard said and took a step closer. I said, Liam said more quietly, I don't like your tone of voice. The guard's face, which had been impassive at first, showed his annoyance. I will call the police, he said. I have a better idea, Liam said. How about I call the police? You don't look like any kind of authority I recognize, which means you probably shouldn't have that rifle. They could put you away for that, couldn't they? Listen, the guard said, closing in on Liam to try to intimidate him. I don't know who you are. Liam punched him in the face. He stumbled backward and fell. Liam was out of the car in a flash on top of the guard. He hit him four more times fast, and the guard was out. Liam shook out his hand. Ow, he said. I might have just caught open a knuckle. On him, Grace said. She and Manchu were already out of the car, too. You fight monsters every week. They're different, Liam said. Apparently, we need to train more. Yes, we do. Liam gave Grace an expectant look. Do you believe me now that I didn't betray you all? Are we okay? Grace gave him nothing back. Let's go, Menchu said. It's a miracle no one else was out here to see this. Traveling light, Grace said. Liam searched through the guard's pockets, found a set of keys, unlocked the door, and they were in. They gave their eyes a moment to adjust to the dark. There was just enough light to see by. The monastery really was crumbling. There were small holes in the roof, water stains on the floor, here and there, the rain had gotten the better of the building, and a wall had caved in, the floorboards had given way. They passed a row of broken windows and reached a stone staircase that seemed to follow the slope of the hill leading up and into the building. Somewhere ahead, they heard people arguing. Liam pointed in that direction, and Grayson and Chu nodded. At the top of the stairs, they saw Sky and the silhouettes of two more guards. Manchu gave them a signal to group together to make a plan, but it was too late. Liam bounded up the stairs, grabbed a head in each hand, and smashed them against each other until both of them fell down. He turned around and motioned for them to come up. That was an unnecessary risk, Menchu whispered. Worked, didn't it? Liam whispered back. The moon was brighter now, the arguing louder. They could tell where the voices were coming from. They knew where to go. Sandro, don't touch the straps again, Stretch hissed. Sal lay unmoving on the board, the straps still restraining her. There was blood and vomit on her shirt, on her face. The four men in team two had closed their little red books and stopped chanting. Balloon and Stretch still loomed over her with gloves and crop. Pray, Balloon barked at them. George, Sandro, Marcus, David, pray. The guards at the perimeter shifted from foot to foot. Stretch raised the crop again. Stop, Sandro said. The exorcism is not working. Not working, Balloon said. Look at her. We are nearing the end. We have calmed her. I am looking at her, Sandro said. I think you killed her. Is she still breathing? Marcus said. Stretch did not check. Of course she is. I'm not so sure, David said. George gave Balloon a long, hard look, as though he were putting together a longer story. You seem pretty calm for someone who may have just ended another person's life, he finally said. Balloon turned to George. What exactly are you implying? 
You have a contingency plan for this. There's a reason you control a monastery with several acres of unused land. George, said Stretch, patting his crop. You're newer to the team, and this is your first exorcism, so I'm going to allow that your line of questioning is the result of shock brought about by what I understand can be a frightening experience. I don't know about that, said George. It looks to me more like you've overstepped your authority. This isn't how Team Two works. Exorcisms are well within our jurisdiction, Balloon said. Yes, the kind where priests gather around a victim of possession without touching her and help her get the demon out through prayer, kindness, and support. Not this. And the straps are for her own safety, Stretch said. And the crop, George said. And those gloves, the, the magic ones, are those for her own safety too? Balloon narrowed his eyes. It's very brave of you to talk this way after the work has been done. I didn't hear your objections while it was happening. I regret that now, George said. Regretting your actions doesn't make you less complicit, Stretch said. So, Sandro said, you're saying that we may actually have killed her? Sometimes, Balloon said, when you separate the demon from its host, the demon takes too much with it for the host to come back. How many people have you killed out here, George said. That isn't a question you have the authority to ask me, and as such, it's one I don't need to answer, Balloon said. That is not at all reassuring. It isn't my job to reassure you, Balloon said. It's my job to do the will of God, to help protect the world he created from being taken over by the creatures he cast out of heaven. It is not clean work, but it is holy. If I would reassure you of anything, it is that regardless of what I have done that looks ugly through earthly eyes, I sleep soundly at night, knowing that I will surely look upon the face of my Savior when I die. Can you say the same? I think, said George, that maybe you have been doing this job for uh, far too long. Balloon looked at Stretch. How did a man of such little faith come to be on our team? I don't know, said Stretch, but you won't be for much longer. You're damn right I won't, said George. He moved to undo the straps. Don't touch her, Stretch said. I'm not, George said. I'm letting her go, if she's even still alive. He loosened a strap. Balloon stepped forward to intervene. Sandro intercepted him and held him back. Take your hands off me, Balloon said. Stretch took a few steps in their direction, raised his arm, and sent the crop across Sandro's back. Sandro let out a short cry, but didn't let Balloon go. Now, from the other side of the slab, Marcus and David undid the straps around Sal and pulled them off. Sal still didn't move. Marcus shook her. Nothing. George just took a step back. Balloon stopped struggling, and Sandro dropped to his knees to vomit from the pain. She's dead, David said. She's really dead. The guards at the perimeter were craning their necks, trying to see. What's happened? One of them shouted. Pray for her, Balloon said, like I asked you to pray for her soul. Probably better if you pray for your own, Liam said, stepping into the courtyard. His face fell as he saw Sal, heavy and motionless. Grace was only a couple steps behind him. Is that Sal? Grace said. I'm afraid so, Liam said. Their fists tightened simultaneously like they did when they used to spar. You want to intimidate us, 
Balloon said. You're just criminals, I hope you understand. We'll turn you over to the police as terrorists. Manchu stepped up behind Liam and Grace. Guards, Balloon continued. These three have wrought havoc upon the Vatican and the society. They have destroyed property and caused loss of life. Perhaps most egregiously, they allowed one of their own to be possessed by an unholy spirit for so long that it appears we were unable to separate the demon from the host without her death. In the meantime, who knows how many of our secrets the demon learned? Centuries of work undone in weeks. Round them up so they may accept whatever judgment the earthly and heavenly powers see fit to render. The guards began to move. Liam, Grace, Manchu said, get it done. If Liam and Grace exchanged a glance, it was too short to see. They split up. For the guards, the experience of fighting Grace was like being victims in a cruel magic show. The spot where Grace had been, where they had trained the barrels of their guns, was empty. Then their weapons were out of their hands, flying through the air, clattering to the ground. One guard was leveled as though he'd been hit with a cannonball. Another spun around five times where he stood and fell. Yet another was swept off his feet. For a moment, his toes were higher than his head. He hit the dirt hard and didn't get back up. In the second and a half, the remaining guards had to react. They dropped their guns and started running. The guns didn't connect with the ground before they did. By that time, Liam had reached the center of the courtyard. The four members of Team Two who'd held their red books and chanted, protesting only too late, dropped to their knees in surrender. Balloon and Stretch did not. Balloon flexed his fingers inside his gloves. Stretch raised the crop ready to use it, but Liam was angry and Liam was faster. Before Stretch could swing the crop around, Liam had buried his fist in Stretch's cheek. Stretch's head snapped back. He pulled it forward again and spat out a tooth. His arm swung around to flail at Liam, but Liam caught it at the wrist and held it there for a second, then twisted it behind Stretch's back. Stretch cried out and dropped the crop. Not as easy when your victim can move, is it? Liam said. He couldn't do anything about Balloon, who was coming up behind him, hands extended, still wearing the gloves. Balloon had his fingers close enough to touch Liam's neck when he was pulled back. He staggered and fell. Grace stood over him. She put her foot on the side of his face, pressing his head into the ground. Touch me with those gloves, she hissed, or any part of you, and I stomp. Let me up, Balloon said. Promise to behave, Grace said. You bitch, Balloon said. Grace smiled, showing your true colors. Always knew you had it in you. Promise to behave? Yes, Balloon said. Grace took her foot off his face. All around them, the guards were moaning. The four acolytes of Team Two were still on their knees, silent. Balloon and Stretch just stood there like children who had broken something. Which was when Menchu approached Sal. He laid his hand on her forehead, like a father testing for a fever. Said her name over and over again. And she moved. First, just her eyeballs twitched under her closed lids. Then she began to shift, waking up. She opened her eyes. Manchu, Sal said. Are you all here? Manchu asked. Yeah, she sat up, wincing. Both of us. She looked at Balloon and Stretch. Oh, this was for nothing. You're frauds. The demon remains inside you, Balloon said. Yeah, Sal said. She felt the rustling in her head turn into a rush, a glimmer of ecstasy, of losing herself like she had in the archives, and started to panic. The hand was still weak, but so was she. 
She pushed back, but couldn't keep the hand all the way down. Here I come, the hand said to her. She got to her feet. The hand propped her up. It was hard to tell whose decision that had been. Careful, Menchu said. You're hurt. Get away from me, Sal said. For God's sake, get away. Inside her skull, she heard the hand laughing. Sal, Liam said. His voice was streaked with worry, even alarm. Those gloves, the hand said. I can do things with them. I won't let you, Sal said. She pushed against it harder. You don't have to let me do anything, the hand said. She felt a sudden shift in her head. If they'd been wrestling, it would have been a flip and a half pin. She was made to take two steps toward Balloon. Strength and power surged through her. She was filled with a fire that purified and cleansed, but could not hurt her. She reached out to Balloon. No, Sal said, I won't let you do this. Sal, Menchu said. Sal watched herself take Balloon's hands in her hands. Felt against her will a rising pleasure in the confused, then stricken look on his face when he realized that the gloves weren't hurting her, that she was drawing their power into herself. You know, the hand said, Sal's had nicknames for you two since she first saw you. Stretch, she nodded toward him, and Balloon. Before either of them could respond, the hand put one of Balloon's hands in Sal's mouth and blew. Balloon inflated. First his hand under the glove, splitting the fabric, then his forearm bulged. His elbow burst out of its sleeve, kept expanding. His biceps disappeared into his side. Balloon started to scream as his chest stretched outward, ripping his shirt, the skin shining under the strain. Then the air moved up his neck and cut his screams off. Sal felt both herself and the hand flow into him, felt the hand growing to fill the space. Felt Balloon's bones creak and pop. The hand was going to kill him. Sal knew it, could see how it would go. For a few more seconds, Balloon's head and thighs inflated at the same time, and he began to float into the air. His head became nearly spherical, his ears like little knots on either side, the shocked, silent expression on his face looking almost drawn on. Time to pop this balloon, the hand said. Sal felt them both flowing into Balloon's head. In a second, the top of Balloon's head would tear open from the pressure and everything would come out at once with a sound like a wet cough. It would be so funny. That wasn't her, that was the hand. And as much as she hated Balloon, she wasn't gonna let him die. Wasn't going to give the hand the satisfaction of using her to kill him. She pushed for herself, for Balloon, for everyone on team three, for Perry, for the past few months and everything she'd had to go through. She pushed. Balloon was still floating in the air. He gasped. Why save this horrible man, the hand said. Because you don't get to decide when he dies, Sal said. Got it? The hand hung on. She pushed again. You'll regret sparing him, the hand said. I can live with that, Sal said, more than I can live with you. One more push and Sal and the hand were flowing back out of Balloon, out of his head, his chest, his thighs, his arms, his hand, his fingers. Balloon fell to the ground and screamed. He was a different shape, a jumble of a man, but he was alive. Grace and Liam stood in place with their mouths open. Sandro gagged. The guards who had regained consciousness looked stunned. You see, Stretch said, this is why we need exorcism. He found his full voice. 
you will be called to account and repent for your sins. Do you understand? There are times to follow protocols, to go through the proper procedures, to have hearings, to render judgments. And then there are times to use your authority to make judgments yourself. He called to the guards, shoot them. The guards looked at team three and at Stretch. There is a demon within her and the others are in league with her, Stretch yelled. Do you need more proof? None of the guards said anything. One of them lowered his weapon. You will all be called to account for your insubordination. Good, George said. I'm out. Me too, said Sandro. The other guards lowered their weapons. You asked too much, Marcus said. Balloon writhed on the ground. Exert your authority, he said to Stretch. Stretch walked over to one of the guards. It was clear what he was about to do or try. Run. Grace said to Liam and Menchu. They ran, sweeping Sal up out of the courtyard, back down the stairs through the dark monastery, to the car. Grace had the engine started. Liam was last in. He closed the door and shot a glance toward the monastery. Are those gunshots I hear, he said. Who knows, Grace said. Let's go. You are listening to Book Burners. Created and produced by Realm, your portal to another world. Listen away. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Book Burners is created by Max Gladstone and written by Max Gladstone, Margaret Dunlap, Amal El-Motar, Murr Lafferty, Andrea Phillips, and Brian Francis Slattery. Executive produced by Molly Barton and Julian Yap. Performed by XE Sands. Audio production by Amanda Rose Smith. And additional editing by Corey Barton and Brooks Ewald. Original theme by Hashem Asadolahi. Featuring Jody Redditch Ferber and mixed by Justin Morell. Cover art by Annie Wu. Executive in charge for Realm, Mary Asadolahi. Find more shows like Bookburners by following Realm on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or at realm.fm.